you're listening to the first full episode of Midwest is Best. This time, Megan literally chugs Wisconsin pride, Osa throws down historical facts and a burger challenge, and Hannah offers up some controversial casserole commentary. I would also like to apologize in advance for using the word tidbits multiple times. No, I don't start until you tell me to start. <laughs> this time we're I all pretty close. I am a good school child. Yeah. I'm also drinking another Wisconsin beverage tonight. It's actually called Wisconsin Pride, and it's from Brown, uh, Hawks Mill in Brown Town. In Brown Town? <laughs> Brown Town, Wisconsin. Oh, Never heard of it. Oh, downtown in Brown Town. Just kidding, it's not downtown. Are you drinking Alinees, Alyssa? What is that? I am. Summer Shandy. What are you drinking, Hannah? Dr. Pepper. Of course. You're so sweet. So does anyone have strong opinions about what makes up the Midwest? Uh, I think Megan does, because Megan always has strong opinions. (laughs) I have a very strong opinion about what doesn't make up the Midwest. (laughs) History is not going to support you on that. (laughs) I don't know if we want to unveil... That's like a full, separate podcast about why there's a certain state that technically should be a part of it, but I vehemently disagree. Well, we can start from the western side and work our way over to the state that won't be named... (laughs) <laughs> yes, that works for me. I would say we start at Minnesota, but I know that, I don't know if you guys include any of the Dakotas in there. I I include North Dakota, which then I feel like you have to include South Dakota. Yeah, you can't Like, South Dakota them. on its own. Yeah, like, South Dakota on its own I don't think is Midwest, but I do think of the of North Dakota, and then it's like, well, they're a package deal. Yeah, so. well, how I don't understand how you could have South without North, or North without versa. South. Right. Yeah, uh, yeah. like in my mind, I think North Dakota, yeah, you can be in the Midwest. Uh, South Dakota, I don't really think you're in the Midwest, but you have to come along now, so well, you're see, in this. And I have so many coworkers who like, well, I grew up in that, like, I went to school in South Dakota, but I'm basically from Iowa. So they, like, they even in- inch their way further into the Midwest. They, like, get that South Dakota's <laughs> on the outskirts. I'm drawing a hard line. They're the plains. They're not the Midwest. Whoa, whoa. Well, you are the one that's closest to the Dakotas, I guess, but... And it does feel different. Like, out here, it's a different Minnesota, even, than, like, mm-hmm. eastern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that's that transition true. into, like, the mountain plains area, where it, like, kind of goes up to the hard geographic barrier of the mountains, you know, and here it's a little mm-hmm. harder, but I think we transition into, like, oh, like, midwestern prairie into just kind of the plains and badlands yeah. and stuff. That's just my... Well, interesting tidbit. Uh, my brother has lived in both Nebraska and Kansas, so I asked him to pull a bunch of his grad students and his friends and stuff, and... They were passionately not a part of the Midwest. They claim they are part of the heartland, which I was like, not different. Those, those are like synonyms. No, which I'm I was pretty say sure. Stupid. I'm going to talk about later the technical definition. The heartland is included in that. So get over yourself, Nebraska. No, and I would say and join are the they party. redefining it. The heartland is kind of like the Rust Belt, where like. The Rust Belt. Well, because that's another thing that often refers to the Midwest. And I think there's some overlapping areas because the Rust Belt Mm -hmm. is really about industry. Heartland, Mm -hmm. I think of like, you know, the breadbasket of the U.S. where Mm -hmm. it's anywhere that's really agriculture reliant. So you get Kansas and Nebraska and Oklahoma in the heartland. But I argue that the Midwest is different but included. 
So, like, I wouldn't necessarily call Indiana or Ohio the heartland as much because they're too far east. This is starting to get very confusing, I feel like. (laughs) It's already... Maybe maybe we should step back and look at some of the definitions and stuff that we looked up before we get into hard definitions. (laughs) But, based on us, and I know this is probably a little biased because of where we grew up and the people we know, but I would vote, starting, we'll expand out, but Minnesota, (laughs) Iowa... Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan, like they are pretty well situated in the Midwest. Easy yeah, to I think, agree. I think we can agree definitely on those. And then maybe then we'll see. Yeah, up some of the other ones up for debate, but definitely yeah. like we can include and those. We'll pull our, our scholarly research in here and see if we want to expand the definition as we go. All right, scholar Megan, do you want to <laughs> kick that uh, off? <laughs> sure, yeah. So I went very old school, like sixth grade research. So I went to Encyclopedia Britannica and I cheated and used .com. I don't have like the books anymore. But it was really interesting when I looked up the American Midwest because in the definition it says everyone within or outside of the Midwest knows of its existence, but no one is certain where it begins or ends. Which I was like, that's a cop out. (laughs) We're done. (laughs) That's it. Clearly your research budget has been slashed Encyclopedia Britannica because that's not helpful at all. Um, But then it did kind of dive into, it seems to be easier to define the Midwest along North and South than it is East or West, which is the same problem we seem to be running into because they talked a lot about the 41st parallel, which is splits along Iowa and Illinois, which we said are pretty standard to the Midwest, but... You know, that could include parts of Missouri and parts of Nebraska, Um, even part of Indiana and Illinois, the farther south you go, those might not be necessarily included. That was kind of the rough Encyclopedia Britannica definition, which was not a definition at all. So I don't know, Alyssa, if you want to talk about, you really dove into the history as a history teacher. Yeah, so... While Encyclopedia Britannica copped out and was like, no, we're not going to actually do our job, the Census Bureau, the U.S. Census Bureau, does have definition for the Midwest. Uh, and they include 12 states. So they have Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Nebraska, North Dakota, Ohio, South Dakota, and Wisconsin. However, while the Census Bureau does claim that those are the Midwest states, they further separate them into West North Central and East North Central. So even they're like, <laughs> well, we'll call them all the Midwest, but Why? I don't know if they all actually go together. East North Central and yeah. West North Central? Yep. So the West North what a- Central. <laughs> Sorry, go on. No, it's- I, I'm wondering about the south side. I'm a little confused, but go on. <laughs> well, no, so, no, so, so west, north, central, those are more or less the states that were added from the Louisiana Purchase. So things to the west of the Mississippi, whereas okay. the east, north, central are more of your states east of the Mississippi. Yeah. <laughs> Mississippi should be its own episode. Not the state, the river. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at kind of the history of how did we get here... Uh, that territory that, that the, the Bureau refers to as the East-North-Central, that was historically kind of the uh, the Northwest Territory. And that was territory originally ceded by the British after the Revolutionary War. So, like, those that area was kind of given up to the new uh, country of the U.S. Uh, and so if you can try and visualize in your, your mind map, or you can go to Google and look up just Northwest Territory Oh, my US. God, you're such a teacher. Your mind map. <laughs> Well, it's a podcast. I've got it. I've got my mind map. map. (laughs) So just kind of visualize 
Got the it. states of Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, Michigan, Wisconsin, and just the northeast portion of Minnesota. It's it's right where the the Mississippi cuts. I'm pretend, visualizing. You got it. You got it, Megan. It's <laughs> pretend, there. Pretend everything to the west doesn't exist, and so now you've got like this map of the <laughs> I U.S. Frequently do. And that area it is the northwest at the time. It was the northwest area of the U.S. Hence, Northwest Territory. We're very, very clever in our naming. That upper portion was originally kind of colonized by the French when white Europeans first came to the area. Originally colonized by the French. Um, obviously, prior to them, many native tribes living all over. This is pretty evident from the names that we still have. For example, Shawamagon. Or Wisconsin, what? Michigan, Iowa, <laughs> Illinois, Minnesota. Well, <laughs> yes, but I like Shawamagon because Shawamagon was it's uh, Ojibwe in origin, but it was Frenchicized. So it what? was an Ojib- Ojibwe name, Shawamagon, but then the French were like, well, we're French and we can't really pronounce what you're saying. We think you're saying Shawamagon. <laughs> Shawamagon Bay, northern uh, northern Wisconsin. <laughs> I must go there. I was. You, I thought you, you were going to say it was like Sheboygan or something. I mean, Sheboygan is still a vague example. So that evidence of the, the native plus the French origin. After the Seven Years' War, or as we commonly know it, the French and Indian War in the U.S., the French gave up that territory. The French, you know, again, having originally been there, they gave up that territory to the British. And the British at that point said, white settlers cannot go there. Once the British got a hold of this Northwest Territory, what's going to later become the our upper Midwest, they said no white settlers can go beyond the Appalachian Mountains. Why did they want it if they wouldn't let anyone go there? They Well, they wanted to control it, and they had one reason being, we don't want white settlers going there because they're in danger when they come in contact with the natives. But it was also, it was also kind of a way for the British to say, hey, Native Americans, we know that some of us have been dicks towards you. So <laughs> we're going to try and right. keep... We're going to try and keep our people out. Ultimately, it was also a way for the British Crown to just make a lot of money because they, like, people were still allowed to go there, but they had to pay, you know. There's the real answer right right there. That's, I mean, ultimately it was like, oh, like, you can apply to get, you know, like a permit to go in fur trade. It's exclusive. The Brits were, like, the masters of colonialism and imperialism, so. So, yeah, playing. They were able to play both sides by saying, hey, white settlers, we don't want you to go because we don't want you to get in danger. But then also like, hey, American Indians, we don't we're not going to let white settlers because like we get it. Not everyone's great. <laughs> but ultimately, we just get making, it. they're just making a bunch of money off of everyone. <laughs> uh, these are the things you learn when you hang out with two anthropologists. <laughs> uh, well, that's also going to be one of the catalysts for the Revolutionary War because people are like, oh, British crowd, not letting me do my thing because the settler, like the white European settlers wanted to go into that area. It's like a murder a bunch of people and take their land. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, yeah, the British, the British <laughs> crown was trying to like put up a wall with, you know, the Appalachian Mountains and the white European settlers were like, no, we're going to go where we want. So then after the Revolutionary War and U.S. becomes its own country, that area gets opened up. And and they start to kind of make it into a territory, into territories, and start carving it up. And during this point, originally the plan was that the upper northern areas, so like Wisconsin and Michigan, their, their southern border was going to end at the southern tip of Lake Michigan, which means 
Illinois and Indiana would not get any lake access. So they were pretty mad and were like, hey, we should have some lake access. So Congress decides, all right, you're right. So Michigan loses out in this. And to make it better, to be like, hey, sorry, Michigan, we took away some of your land. We'll give you more land elsewhere. Michigan got the UP. The UP! Because <laughs> it was like, sorry, we took away some of your lake water. Like, we'll give you the UP, which Michigan which did not should have been Wisconsin's. Well, Michigan didn't want it. They even, like, when they were voting to become a state, were like, we don't, we don't want this. <laughs> That's so mean. The Upper Peninsula is so beautiful. Well, at the time, they didn't think it was great, but then they were like, oh, wait, there's, like, mining to be done up here. Now they like it. How the UP gets in there. Once we have, you know, these territories established, we have some migration happening internally. Um, and early migration within the U.S., a lot of settlers came from New England and New York to settle the Midwest, and so it was kind of like this New England of the West at the time. Also, other immigrants came from all over the world. Immigration was active and officially promoted in the upper Midwest. And by 1880, 71% of the Minnesota population were foreign-born, or children of foreign-born. Which, Wisconsin, as we know, attracted a lot of Germans. And this even showed off in some of the politics, having some socialist leanings. Ethnic colonies were kind of popping up all throughout this upper Midwest area. Um, they weren't assimilating or adapting to kind of an American way of life. They were interested in preserving their own cultural heritage, to the point that in some cases, uh, German families, especially in Wisconsin, I know, they would fight for their right that their children be educated in German rather than English in schools. We also get the uh, the New Republican Party origins in the 1850s in Wisconsin uh, as popping up alongside a lot of this immigration because the Republican Party at the time, they were very anti-slavery. They were working to expand rights for black people. And I have a quote which I thought was great for the Republican Party at the time because they would work side by side with these immigrants and in interests of the immigrants. quote that I, that I got off of the Library of Congress was the Republican Party always ruled by means of coalitions with immigrant populations, and so anti-immigrant nativism was seldom strident. So not very us versus them at the time. Yes, I, I would say that the Republican Party has evolved on the issue since then. This is not a political podcast, so we'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's not. I'm just stating fact. They were not us versus them, and I think they have evolved on the subject since then. Oh, okay, Alyssa, I have a quick question yeah. when you were going through your explanation. You mentioned that, especially within Wisconsin, but throughout a lot of these areas, that the different populations really tried to hold on to their culture and their heritage. In your research, do you think that's faded out, or do you think that's still present to a certain degree? I mean, granted, people aren't speaking fluent German anymore, but I know growing up, like, even the Catholic Church in my hometown had German masses. Like, they had a polka mass mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah, and, I mean, and there's little pockets of it that are still... I don't know, Very maybe it's an Americanized version, but... I did not really come across that in my research, but I know just from, again, being a history teacher and, and looking at... Like, my hometown actually had two newspapers, like, two main newspapers, one in German, one in English, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And this was very common throughout at least parts of Wisconsin. Um, World War One and World War Two kind of put a stop to a lot of that. That's true. <laughs> I guess I didn't think about the German impact yeah. at that time. I mean, to the, to the extent that during World War One, sauerkraut was referred to as freedom cabbage. Yes. Yeah, so that kind of, a lot of that got tamped down. You don't want to play up your Germanness during yeah. World War One and World War Two, especially. But now, the Wisconsin Board of Tourism has a whole, I can't even say the word, but they're like, a German word is their theme for the summer. It's like, gemer, gemer. I shouldn't have brought this up. I can't actually say the word. 
I'll put it on our Facebook page or something. Well, it's just like, we love to party. Come eat and drink beer with us. And there's like one German word for that. And to move away from just Germans, because there's, where I grew up, 50-50 German-Norwegian. The Midwest also has some of the highest populations of Scandinavians, along with like, at this point, Hmong and Somali people, but historically, lots of Scandinavians. So there's a town called Westby in Wisconsin that still celebrates Sitnamai, which means the 17th of May, which is one version, essentially, of the Norwegian Independence Day. They have a parade every year. There's multiple towns where their McDonald's signs are in Norwegian, so they have Vilkomen uh, and Tak, which is welcome and thank you, <laughs> like, at their drive through So there's still a lot of Norwegian and Scandinavian influences, very clearly. And, like, I even have friends yeah. whose grandparents spoke Norwegian at home. And oh. I grew up in a very small, rural, somewhat isolated area, so I think that helps. Hannah, to second your point, though, too, because I know we've talked a lot about German heritage, like, even in, in Illinois, I know people would get off for Leif Erikson Day. It's very Illinois? Germanic. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Uh, Dewey. Dewey and Melissa always got off school. For Leif Erikson Day? I don't even know. Yeah. In Minnesota, we get that. And, like, Minnesota is the Viking state. No, I've never heard of that as vacation. Uh, I think that's Illinois okay. just, like, well, not caring and are like, well, we're, br- we're bankrupt anyway, so who cares? <laughs> Yeah, that's one last day that we have to pay the teachers. <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Well, now that we've depressed ourselves, at least, maybe we can move on. Just chug that wine, Megan. That's... <laughs> that makes it better. That's how I celebrate the <laughs> Erickson Day. And also, hey, in the Midwest, especially Wisconsin, is home to some of the highest rates of alcoholism in the country. Yay! So, it's a culture no. here. What we think it... binge drinking in is very different than what other people yeah. think binge drinking is. True. Yeah. Cool. That's <laughs> a sad episode for another day. <laughs> That's like a PSA episode. Yeah. <laughs> a very special episode of Midwest is Best. So we're kicking it okay. over to, to Megan with her, her research bit. Yeah, Alyssa talked a lot about the history, so I just wanted to bring in some of the more current research and stuff that's been done. And one of the studies I found that I really, really liked was by 538, which is a group that does a lot of statistics research. And the really interesting thing they found is they asked like 1,500 different people to weigh in and just look at a map and say, what is the Midwest? And there was not one state that got 100% of the vote. The highest leading state was Indiana with only 81%. So 81% of these 1,500 people agreed that, yes, Indiana makes up the Midwest, which is so strange to me because how, how do you not think Iowa is a part of the Midwest. There, It seems like there should be some states that are really, really critical, but as we've discovered already today, a lot of it is up for debate. I also had a couple less official polls that tried to achieve the same thing, just with, like, much smaller numbers. Uh, and one of them, a Thrillist poll, did have Iowa, Nebraska, and South Dakota appear on everyone's map that they put together. And the same thing with a Vox Media poll. The number one thing that everyone could agree on was I- Iowa, followed by Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Minnesota. There are a few other funny ones in there, like Ohio and Michigan didn't make it onto 50% of the maps mm-hmm. for Thrillist. Uh, but Arkansas, Oklahoma, and Wyoming made it onto 35% of them. Oh, interesting. So yeah. It's kind of the same thing of like, yeah, who knows? Everyone's just kind of guessing. Because there's even one of them had Texas show up on one, oh. which 
Texas in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So it's part of the it mix. Is. If you're looking at a map and draw a line down the middle, it would hit Texas. That is yeah. true. <laughs> but it's interesting that, I don't know, to me, like Michigan, it is like one of those quintessential Midwest states that you said over half, like 50%, didn't include that. So out of 20, Ohio made it onto eight naps and Michigan made it onto nine. So just under 50% actually and included those. My, my study looked at a much larger population. Michigan did make it in, I'll say, like the top six. Um, there were about six that got 70% or higher of the vote, and that was Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana, as I said earlier. But then there were a lot of states that were kind of on the bubble, like Nebraska. So that was one. My brother lived in Nebraska for several years, so I asked him to talk to some of his friends and colleagues if, to see if they considered Nebraska to be part of the Midwest, and they don't. They said they are the heartland, which I don't totally understand how that's different. I heard the heartland, the Great Plains, there were a lot of ways people were defining their area. And I've even heard people split the Midwest with the North or the Great Lakes region as different than the rest of the Midwest. Yeah, like the upper Midwest. Which is its own area of study uh, at Madison. There are professors who focus on the upper Midwest. One of them actually wrote a book called So Oli Says to Lena, which is a folklore book. And for those of you that don't know, Oli and Lena jokes are Norwegian-based humor that actually came from Norwegians as they immigrated. And I think that's why a lot of people maybe haven't heard of it and why it's specific to the upper Midwest, because that's where you get a lot of rural Norwegians. And that's still a pretty strong population. So yeah, his whole focus is on the upper Midwest as its own subculture. Mm -hmm. Any other juicy tidbits from that poll? There weren't necessarily juicy tidbits from the poll. I... I guess the state I was most surprised by, Wyoming, showed up for 10% of people, which I was like, Wyoming is like cowboys. Like, that is true That's West. cowboy country, yeah. Yeah. So. I guess, though, you know, if you, again, if you're just looking at mm-hmm. a map, and if someone tells you the Midwest, so you go to the West yeah. Coast, and then you go in a little bit, like, before you the West Coast, and Wyoming yeah. is before the the actual yeah, full yeah. west coast so i guess i yeah, could maybe see something like that between the mississippi and the rockies if we have any wyoming listeners please let us know if you would ever yeah. consider yourself part <laughs> of the midwest or yeah as we tend to think of you you're just the west well and listeners of any kind i mean my my brother lived in nebraska for like two years so he is not the decisive voice of nebraskans <laughs> so there might be people out there who are like oh no we're we're midwest or like like we're Heartland, but your yeah, brother that's basically speaks for the Midwest. All Nebraskans. <laughs> well, my mom is from Nebraska. She sometimes makes fun of Midwesterners, but I think that's partially based on us having lived Texas as well, because her main thing is the way Midwesterners make chili. That's a really fine sticking point. <laughs> well, one, it's not spicy, because Midwesterners stereotypically hate spice, and it's true. I've eaten chili that tastes more like spaghetti, but with beans. Nope. And that also oh, yeah. goes with people in western Wisconsin and also in. In Ohio, like Cincinnati chili has spaghetti noodles oh, in it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. just right. Chili. It's wrong. 
Yeah, it's just chili over spaghetti noodles. Yeah, I've known people, though, from Green Bay and from Milwaukee and that whole area where that's normal. Like, you go over for dinner or you're going over for, like, a movie night and they have a pot of chili on. There will also be a pot of spaghetti noodles right next to it. My mom, like, I grew up my mom putting noodles in the chili, but it wasn't, it wasn't spaghetti. It was more, it was more like a chili mac, I guess you could say, because it was, like, macaroni noodles. That's different. In the chili. (laughs) Not the chili over the noodles. Like how I immediately come to the defense of hot dish i'm like no that's different when you're just experimenting with stuff it's like goulash though so i feel like chili is a soup so there's liquid well i feel like we started getting into some of the cultural things and that's kind of what i wanted to wrap up with i found an insider list of 25 things every midwesterner knows to be true and i picked out the ones that i felt we could agree on, but also some that were perhaps controversial. Is spaghetti and chili one of them? Because I it's immediately not. disagree. Good. It's Good. not, but it should have been because they have a few other weird things. So they did have one of the things was apparently pairing cinnamon rolls with chili. Not in it, but as like the side or follow up with it is really popular in Nebraska and Iowa. And it was it's still common in school lunches and at cafeterias. Um, well, <laughs> no, okay, absolutely. Hold on. Who's doing that? Who is doing that? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Because whoa. growing up right on the Iowa border, like, cinnamon rolls are the go-to dessert at every supper club. And I've never understood that. That's but weird. But it's always, always the dessert option. Cinnamon rolls. never had cinnamon, a cinnamon roll at a supper club. Cinnamon rolls are a breakfast food. I am going on record with that. Oh, also not in the list, supper clubs, but that's also an, an entire topic, but that's apparently also a very Midwestern thing, is that we still have supper clubs, which is one of our other holdovers from, like, the 40s and 50s that no one else decided was good. Uh, and they're the best. Love yes, that, they're a good could choice. Could be multiple episodes. Uh, obviously cheese, that's not a question. Uh, the <laughs> other thing was, it's hot dish and not casserole from Minnesota, but I think we can agree that both of them are common foods, and there's debate about what the difference is or if they're the same. Yes, we do say hot dish. Mm-hmm. It's basically casserole. But usually I consider, and this is my own opinion, again, possibly controversial. I consider hot dish the thing where you have like layers of food in a dish that you bake. Whereas a casserole can kind of refer to any hot mixed food. Usually baked too, but like if everything's all mixed together and you put it in, it's a casserole. But if you still have the distinct layers of, like, green beans on the bottom, then cream of mushroom soup, and then tater tots, and then a top layer of cheese, then it's a hot dish. So would, like, a baked macaroni and cheese be a casserole? Yeah. It goes in a casserole dish. It's true. And there's, I mean, I don't know. I would draw the line that lasagna is not a hot dish, even though it is a layered (laughs) baked food. But I think an argument could be made if we really wanted to. So so do you, do Minnesotans (laughs) refer to them as hot dish? dishes because yeah casserole dish is like that's my casserole dish but is it a hot dish dish maybe it's they call it like uh hand me my ceramics or something <laughs> i don't know or whatever uh, to be fair i almost is. never hear anyone call it a casserole dish either i just oh my that's also maybe an that's something i've I definitely heard pan. I, I need to get the casserole dish out that's okay good this is blowing my mind <laughs> Because I've never really thought about it. I use them interchangeably, but and a lot maybe of people I've been do. wrong all these years, as I so often am. <laughs> I have developed this opinion over many years of considering this because of the variety of influences and even just different parts of the Midwest of people talking about it. And that's why I have definitions of them, what I think. That's my thesis. 
<laughs> is that there is a difference, but they're so similar that they do get used interchangeably. <laughs> Moving away from this topic, which has gotten us all thinking maybe a little too hard. One of the things they brought up is like quintessential Midwest is the restaurant Steak and Shake, but I have never been to or in real life seen a Steak and Shake restaurant. I've been to one in, I, th I think I was in Illinois. I think I may have been at the O'Hare Airport. You, uh, They're definitely more, I, I think, in the, the southern part of the Midwest, the upper, it, I, I haven't really seen one in Wisconsin. I mean, Hannah, you lived in Milwaukee. Do you remember a Steak and Shake in Milwaukee at all? No. Or, and I, I, don't, I don't remember one in Madison. Is. Nope, there's a Steak and Lou, but no Steak and Shake. <laughs> yeah. We like our steaks with lube. <laughs> I don't. Insider, I think you need to check your research on this one. Okay. <laughs> they did also bring up, and I think this is where maybe they had someone who was an insider for the Midwest, but maybe not a very thoughtful one, or maybe they had multiple people sourcing this, but they also included Culver's as another quintessential well, restaurant. I would agree with the Culver's. It's true for the saying. upper Midwest. They've expanded when you go, like when you go to their, when you go to a Culver's and you eat in the restaurant, they even have like a little map that shows you where all the Culver's are now, and I think there like might even be one down in Texas at this point. There's near near me, and uh, I pass it when I go to Madison. They there's a f local farmer farmer that they get some of their milk and stuff from, and they painted his barn blue, and it says "Thank you, farmers from lo like Love Culvers." It's Aww. super adorable, and it makes me really happy. It's very yeah. that's like, very Midwest. You're welcome, Culvers. <laughs> I'm not a farmer, but I'll send. I'll pass the word along. I mean, yeah. For those that don't know, Culver's. I mean, I'm trying to think. What if the like the big one on the east and west coast? There's a In-N-Out Burger, Jack in the Box. But Culver's is kind of like our our tier of that because you know, like In-N-Out, like they're always like, oh, In-N-Out Burger, it's the best. I challenge, I challenge the In-N-Out Burger to Culver's. You got that butter burger, and then you get that custard afterward. Oh, my God, and it's like an entire week's worth of calories in one <laughs> You're meal. You're good to go. I mean, you but know, good. We, yeah. do, we do like our calorie-rich food in the Midwest. Uh, if you're <laughs> a bear preparing to hibernate for winter, have I got the meal for you. You know, when you when you have this tradition, uh, this history of a lot of farms and farm work, that's, that's that's hard labor. You gotta. That's true. You gotta bulk up. Do you not remember the short course kids that would come in, like all those farm kids that would come in and the dairy store we worked at in Madison and order triple scoops at seven a.m. You know, they've been up for three hours at that point. <laughs> triple scoop and a waffle cone of Blue Moon. Yep. Which, again, didn't go on the list, but is oh, yeah. apparently a Midwestern-based flavor. Yeah. Blue, Moon, Blue Moon. Fruit Loops, but ice cream. Isn't it? Or did we decide Fruity Pebbles? I think technically, no, I, I think the technical is that it, it was like an almond flavoring that they added to it, isn't technically, it? Technically, it's almond and something, but, but it, it tastes, tastes like yeah. fruit cereal. In, in practice, it and tastes. And it's bright blue. Yeah. <laughs> and why are fruit-based cereal as opposed to like, oh, it tastes like fruit snacks? I don't know. <laughs> It's specifically just, cereal, though. It doesn't taste just, like a fruit snack I think it was, or a fruit roll. It was like the cream from like, the, the milk, like, just makes it more uh, like a cereal. Uh, and the last food-related thing on the list was state fairs. So it was both oh, that. We have a lot of, like, huge idea. state fairs. Yeah, but also there's anything deep-fried on a stick you can imagine, including just straight butter, exists at a Midwest state fair. Because I have had some vehement debates with family in other states about which state has the best state fair. Iowa, Iowa and Minnesota are, like, nationally recognized as 
some of the better state fairs. I think mm-hmm. Texas is usually thrown in there. Um, I forgot one other food thing. So one of the other things on the list is puppy chow specifically, but they're also called Muddy Buddies. And the recipe is on the checks box, and I don't think they do it just for Midwestern distribution. So I don't know why this is such a Midwestern thing, but I've seen it on the internet also with people being baffled by what this delicious treat is and yeah. why it's called puppy chow. But I did never understand it. why it was called puppy chow, but it is delicious. That's why they call them Muddy Buddies in the box, I guess, so you're not eating dog food. Chocolate and peanut butter. Chocolate and peanut butter and butter <laughs> and vanilla. And then you cover it all in powdered sugar and... So that it doesn't clump together. Oh, I did want to point out, if you want if you want to make this and you haven't heard of it and haven't tried it, but you have any sort of food issues, Rice Chex is already gluten-free. And then if you make it with sunflower seed butter, it is then nut-free. And if you watch what's in your ingredient for the chocolate chips, you can also get it to be soy-free. So it is a very allergen-friendly food, too. For anyone that's Look watching... Look at you, Hannah. Food. So inclusive in your recipe design. Don't kill your friends with nut allergies. So that's what I want to bring up because it's very useful if you know how to use it is the concept of a hand map. So Insider only mentioned Michigan uh, and they really missed out because Wisconsin is also a hand and Michigan is more of a mitten or a pair of mitten. And since this is an audio format, let me explain to you how this works. So if you're looking at your hand, turn it palm up and then stick your thumb out. It's got to be your right hand. Yes, right hand, palm up thumb out. Uh, That is the mainland of Michigan. And then if you take your left hand, palm away from you, and then perpendicular to mainland, and that is the upper peninsula of Michigan, also with your thumb out a little bit. And then you can look at it and point at your hand about where you're from. You can also do it with Wisconsin, which is kind of the same thing of have your hand palm up. Wisconsin and Michigan mainland are, are similar shapes. Yes. I'll I'll give them that. And then when people ask where you're from, and as happens so many times, you mention a small town that no one has ever heard of outside of, like, a 60-mile radius, you can pull your hand up and just point to it, and people get the gist of where you are. So it's incredibly helpful to explaining to people who have no idea. And I don't know if this is a uniquely Midwest thing, but there's really nothing more exciting than naming your tiny town and having someone actually recognize it. I've I've had this happen where I was out in D.C. visiting a friend and I was in this restaurant and we noticed, I should mention it was bar time, but we noticed the guy in front of us had a Wisconsin tattoo. So we were all very excited and I was like, I'm from here and like pointing at his tattoo and this restaurant, 13 different people were from Wisconsin and we were all very (laughs) excited and it was like this tiny little Midwest embassy in the middle of DC and it was very, very special and it gave, to me, it gave me new meaning to Midwest nice because we were all pretty much just best friends the rest of the night. Your hand map can do that too if you don't happen to have your state tattooed on your body somewhere. Let's say if you don't want to make it permanent, but hopefully having your hand attached to your body is pretty permanent. What if um, What if I have one hand in my pocket? And the other one giving a peace sign? And the other one giving a tour of Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> I think we just found our new theme song. Do you think Alanis Morissette would help us write one? Probably. I don't know. What did we learn today? For me, the big takeaway is the Midwest is really hard to define, but you can just, it's more than flyover states. (laughs) It's 
It's more than flyover states, and I think people kind of write them off as this conglomeration of nothing where, like, Illinois blends into Iowa and Wisconsin blends into Michigan. But we're all different. We all have unique stuff to offer, and I think this podcast is going to try and highlight some of that. And I will just do a little plug if there are people out there who are trying to research more about the Midwest. I came across this great book called The Midwest, God's Gift to the Planet Earth. It's published by Ray Gun, which is a company out of Des Moines, Iowa, where they do really funky t-shirts and stuff, but they just kind of talk about that Midwest ideal, and it's really fun. We're maybe more fun, but... They're, they're good, too. Part of the reason that book stood out to me was in the first chapter, they're kind of summarizing the idea of the Midwest. And the quote is, So there you have it. Not only is the Midwest God's greatest handiwork, but you shouldn't be surprised if you ever meet him and hear, Hey there, God from Sheboygan, Wisconsin. Boy, it sure is nice to meet you. And I just, I love that. That's very, like, that's how everyone from Sheboygan, Wisconsin talks. Is there. It's always <laughs> it's always great to meet you. They're always super friendly. From Sheboygan. And yeah, yeah is spelled Y-A. And Sheboygan, Sheboygan is just such a fun word. It's so indicative of Wisconsin. So one of the other things, too, just speaking of Midwest representation, and also of Alyssa's hometown, <laughs> Phil Coulson, who was in the first Avengers movie and is in now Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., is from Manitowoc, Wisconsin, and they actually had an episode that took place in Manitowoc. And you should, I remember when that <laughs> happened, because I did not watch the, the show, but everyone was freaking out that Manitowoc, Wisconsin was uh, mentioned for like a brief moment. No joke. Like, I could be watching a movie and somebody happens to have a Wisconsin shirt on. I get excited. Like, I'm suddenly yeah. like, well, that <laughs> is a good character. In the book American Gods, which has since been made into, I don't know, it's an HBO TV show, a big chunk of it is set in the Midwest. And part of that is because Neil Gaiman recognizes how weird the Midwest is from places in, I think it's Illinois, that are named Cairo and some other Egyptian city are names in the Midwest. And then mm-hmm. they go to House on the Rock, which is in yeah. Wisconsin, which That's is this only weird, 40... surreal experience. I've been there three times. And it's just another one of those things where it's just like, yeah, everything's a little bit weird here. And if Neil Gaiman can recognize that, I think that there's He's some other fun things we can crazy. tease out. From the Marvel multiverse to the work of Neil Gaiman, you'll find the Midwest featured in some pretty interesting places. Even so, it's hard to define. Did we get it right? Or did we butcher the very concept of the Midwest? Let us know. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Midwest is Best Show, as well as at MidwestIsBestShow.wordpress.com. But remember, be nice. And that's it. Thanks for listening. We would also like to thank Cola, an artist from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for releasing music under Creative Commons licensing. You've heard their song Till It Last in our intro, also right now. This podcast is also released under Creative Commons. Share and share alike. Episodes can be downloaded pretty much anywhere podcasts are found.